from him who always puts us first, and from him who makes us into his disciples by gathering us together around word and sacrament so that we go out into the world and show his light and be the salt of the earth. From him be all grace and mercy and peace. Amen. I'm going to refer to two of our Bible readings for today in this sermon. First, from the epistle lesson where Paul writes, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And from our gospel lesson where Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. These are our texts. I had forgotten, but Marla Seaman reminded me. She reminded me what my first sermon here was about. She even remembered the words. I don't know if you remember, but she did. Took me a little bit of digging to find that first sermon, but I found it, and here's what I said. I said, so this is what paradise looks like. I've been waiting and anticipating this moment for close to four months now. I've wondered what paradise looked like, and now I know it looks like Ascension Lutheran Church in Castleberry, Florida. You may remember that that's a play on the words of our very first synodical president, C.F.W. Walther, who was teaching seminary students way back in the late 1800s, and this is what he said to those seminary students. When a place has been assigned to a candidate of theology where he is to discharge the office of a Lutheran minister, that place ought to be to him the dearest, most beautiful, and most precious spot on earth. To him, it should be a miniature paradise. So thank you, members of Ascension Lutheran Church, for introducing me to paradise. We know all too well that Castleberry in the greater Orlando area is far less than paradise, despite what an animated mouse would want to tell us. We know that there's danger, there's decay, there's dread all around us in our daily lives and here in this place, but here, inside of these walls, the Lord of love pours out his forgiveness through his word and his sacraments. This is a little slice of paradise on earth. Always remember that. And as we move out into our daily lives, we take the paradise of God's love with us to share it with those around us who need it. And boy, are there a lot of people who need it. It's hard to wave goodbye to paradise, but today I have to do that. And as I do, I can't help but think about and remember these words of St. Paul that he wrote to Philemon. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul is praying for his dear friend Philemon who he had, by the way, led to Christianity. He had converted him to the faith. 
and he reminds him that we are all in this gospel thing together. Even and especially now that Philemon's slave, Onesimus, has run away, which by the way was a capital offense, he could have been murdered, killed for doing it, but Onesimus finds his way to St. Paul and he also becomes a Christian. And now he is attending to Paul's needs while old man Paul is sitting in jail. And Onesimus comes to serve him day by day, helping him out, putting him first instead of himself. It's a whole new situation for Philemon. It's a new situation for Onesimus. And so Paul appeals to both of them to be possessed by the gospel of God's grace, the freedom that comes with pardon, with forgiveness. He calls them to come to terms with each other under the divine kingship of Jesus, since they are now servants, even prisoners, of love in Christ. And so Paul says, I want to send Onesimus back to you, Philemon. And he says to Philemon, please receive Onesimus in the love of Christ. Receive him as if you were me, Paul says, without any kind of punishment. And as Paul hints, he should even let him go. He should release him, not make him a slave anymore. That was an incredibly radical and countercultural thing to do in those days. It called for doing something completely outside of the cultural norms of the day. You would never let a slave go free, especially a slave who had run away. You know as well as I do that the gospel of Jesus itself, the proclamation of his death and his resurrection for the forgiveness of the sins of the world is no longer a part of the cultural norms of our day. It's far outside of those cultural norms. But this church is filled with baptized believers and is called, just like Philemon and Onesimus, to continue to do the things that might be controversial, that might be unpopular, that might even hurt, all for the sake of the gospel. Just because I will no longer be pastor here, it doesn't mean that ministry should stop, that the gospel should be proclaimed no more, or that we should cease being active disciples of Jesus. May it never be. May this church always thrive in that ability and that capacity by the love of Christ as he pours his spirit into us. Because through holy baptism, Philemon and Onesimus and all of us have received the very spirit of God who moves and motivates us to follow where Jesus leads and to do good works for our neighbor in his name. Where the word of God is read, where it is proclaimed, where the sacraments are given out, the Holy Spirit produces a brand new way of living for us and our households and our communities. Now is not the time to stop connecting disconnected people to the joyful community of the caring Christ. It is the time to ramp it up, to do it even more, People are dying every day without the saving gospel of Jesus. God puts words into our mouths to speak his love and his forgiveness. He reminds us that in him, 
There is no longer black nor white, Democrat nor Republican, Spanish speaker nor English speaker, PC user nor Mac user, upper class nor lower class. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And he is the way and the truth and the life for all people. And so I will be thanking my God always when I remember you in my prayers and see you continuing to carry on God's ministry in this place. Jesus' call to discipleship in today's gospel lesson is very clear and it is very hard. We can only be disciples of Jesus if we put him first, even above our families, even above our very own lives. Being a disciple of Jesus means counting the cost, and it may just be a very, very steep cost. might even be the steepest price we've ever paid to do anything to be a disciple of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus means renouncing everything else and following him. It means being salty and adding the flavor of the gospel to the world. Are you ready to do all that? I'm not. It's hard. I'm too often selfish like I was with the children. It's hard to put God first and others first. No, it's not even hard. It's impossible. We can't do it. But remember who it is that's making these demands of us. It's the one who lives a perfect life, who dies on the cross, who rises again from the dead. Jesus speaks a radical command to us that makes us stand empty before him. Jesus, I can't do it. It is impossible for me to hate my family. It's impossible for me to give my life for you. But Jesus lives a radical grace that takes the lost the lost like you and me, and claims us as God's. And so when his words reveal our radical emptiness, his life reveals God's radical grace. God comes to people like you and me who cannot follow him on our own. He finds us, he calls us, he saves us, and then he leads us into building his kingdom. That's the ascension I will always love. Total sinners being filled to the full with a total Savior who joyfully salts the earth through you. If there's one thing I pray my ministry here will leave behind, that is that it is only and always about Jesus. Not who's standing here in this pulpit, not who is teaching Bible studies, I'm reminded about the article I read a couple weeks ago. It stated that we've been all wrong in the way that we've been teaching the story of David and Goliath probably for decades now because you probably remember how it was taught. If we're good enough, if we're strong enough, we can overcome the Goliaths in our lives. We can take those five smooth stones and slay them in our lives. When we teach the lesson that way, there's one big thing missing. Instead, the article says, 
the Philistine behemoth of a man who stood on the battlefield, is more like we are than we care to admit. He is, in fact, the incarnation of everything that's wrong with us. In other words, we are the Goliath. We are born enemies of God. We are full of ourselves. We not only have a giant problem, we are a giant problem. We defy God. We exalt ourselves. It's all about me. We're foes of heaven. We're giant sinners. What we need is not to be schooled in the art of moral improvement. Goliaths can't be reprogrammed into good boys. What we need is not for David to hand us a 100-page self-help guide on how we can have the best life now if we just clean up our act and get our priorities in line. No, Goliath needs one thing. He needs to be killed. And that's what our David does. Our David, the new and second David, marches onto the battlefield to slay us. We need to die before we can live. There is no other way. But Christ, the son of David and David's Lord, does not sling a rock to our big heads. He has a liquid weapon. He holds us under the water of baptism. In that wet death, we are joined to a bloody death. David's own. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We die, but we die with him. We are drowned, but we are crucified with him. David wraps his arms around us, Goliaths, and plunges us into the watery grave with us. Together we die, And together we rise. It's all about Jesus. Seven years of partnership in ministry has meant for us, the people of God at Ascension, joys, sorrows, victories, losses, laughter, tears. We've walked out into the cemetery together, we've stood at the font. Together, We have shared this meal together. There have been weddings and celebrations. There have been sad times and glad times. This morning I want to say that I am thankful to all of you for the way in which you have partnered in ministry, for your welcoming arms, for the way that you welcome guests and visitors to this church. I have said it once and I'll say it again, this is the most welcoming church I have ever been a part of. I'm thankful to our incredible staff. I'm thankful to our musicians who beautify our worship services each and every week, who put so much time and work and effort into worshiping the Lord. I'm thankful to all of our wonderful volunteers and the leaders who so faithfully lead and will continue to lead through this transition and beyond. I'm especially thankful to you for always welcoming and supporting my family, and especially my wife, Tammy, without whom I'm certain I wouldn't be standing here today. But most of all, 
I'm thankful for your desire to be ever stronger in discipleship and faithfulness for the Lord Jesus. I will always thank God as I remember you in my prayers. And I pray that we will have many opportunities to help and to love and to support one another as we share a common faith and a common ministry, no matter where we may be, no matter how many miles separate us, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is here, and he always will be. And Jesus is preparing for us, for you and for me, a paradise that will never end. In Jesus' name, amen.